what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of my unapologetic perspective here on the mighty motivation network hotep to the people out there ashe to the family out there this is the podcast we give our point of view of controversial topics from our experience black history and our knowledge as african-americans in the words of maya angelou do your best until you know better and when you know better do better so it's important to search for information to discover what you don't know so you can discover your best you i'm here today with my co-host again to the right of me is shaquan battle what's up and to the right of him is jerome battle what's up everybody go to youtube type in mighty motivation network hit the subscribe button we got a few more subscriptions this week um and we want more next week uh go to facebook type in my unapologetic perspective follow the facebook page we got a lot of new um likes and uh shares on our stuff we appreciate it we appreciate all the people who've commented in our inbox who have talked to us uh face to face all the people who have supported this since day one and for the new people who have been joining go back and watch the older episodes um the audio sometimes wasn't always the best but we finally got it down packed but we appreciate all the love and support we've been getting but the most important thing is take this information and research it yourself to figure out what the, what conclusion you come to on some of the things that we talk about we're not here to be right we're here to uh, make you think and give you perspective of uh, from our experience, our knowledge, and our history. Um, how are y'all today? What's going on? I'm good. I'm good. Anything y'all want to uh, say? Bo- any current event? Anything y'all want to say before we get started with the topic? Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about this search for this this guy that they think killed his fiance. Okay. So it's gone national, right? It's probably gone international at some point, but yeah. it's gone national. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen them go to that extent for a missing African-American woman? Never. Um, one comes to mind, I think, about the young girl that went missing uh, from Amherst uh, not too long ago. Yeah. Murphy. Uh, uh, Alexa out of Murphy. Nelson County. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it, 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 went, it made it to national. Mm-hmm. It made it to the TV, to the news. Um, at least your local channels. And I think I may have saw something once or twice on uh, uh, a statewide uh, network, mm-hmm. but nothing international, definitely mm-hmm. nothing international, but nothing even nationwide. Um, how often does it happen that something like this in the African-American community and it makes it to the national level? Um, even more than that, um, the way it happened so fast, the way it went to national news, sometimes it takes a lot for the local news to be able to come national news. But if you look at the incident um, in retrospect, if you look at it from an African-American standpoint, they were involved, the couple was involved in a domestic dispute beforehand. That's right. right. So in an African-American perspective, somebody went to jail. jail. (laughs) If the cops got to come out there for y'all, for them assaulting each other or whatever the case, Something would have happened during that situation. Um, but yeah, uh, it's very, very different because in that area, there's been a lot of um, indigenous people that have went missing and nobody talked about it. There's been a lot of African-American women that's went missing and nobody talked about it. But, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair <laughs> changes changes a lot. Absolutely. Um, but we're going to get started with the topic today. And this topic is important because of 
um, bridging the gap, um, especially with the older generation, with the younger generation. And we've we've alluded to this a few times on this podcast in various episodes, but today we want to really dive into it to try to give our perspective. A lot of it is going to be perspective of what can happen and what should happen um, as we move forward with activism, as we move forward with social injustice, that we move forward with um, um, economic uh, growth within our community, as we look move forward with just solving solutions of, of African-American problems. Uh, and the topic today is, you know, the youth's impact in, in activism, uh, the importance of the, the role that the youth play in, in black history and in the future um, of black people. Um, and if you look at history, if you understand history, you understand that black teens played a particular critical role in challenging racism and inequality in America, um, no matter what uh, time frame you look at. And we'll go down uh, a few people um, as we head into just conversation, conversation on what older people can do and what younger people can do to, to, to combat what's going on. But before I do that, um, y'all's um, perspective on the importance of this topic. I always think it's important that you get the younger generation involved in any type of a change. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be regarding uh, inequality or in injustice. It mm -hmm. could be anything. Um, and there's reasons why young people typically are not involved. A lot of it has to do with we talk about as as the the elders um, creating a, a better world for the younger generation yet we don't entrust them with the information and the tools that it takes to create those opportunities. We wanna hold on to it until the younger generation is forced into that role right. as the older generation gets older and are unable to do certain things. I think we need to get them involved in, in the process early and you do that by, edu by educating them. Mm -hmm. We're gonna talk about um, a couple of people and I think it's important that for one of them, we understand that what she did was based on her knowledge of, of, of history, black mm -hmm, history, mm -hmm. um, that led her to do what she did mm -hmm. and, and talking about Claudette Colvin. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important in a lot of ways because, like I said, we have to, one, give them the information, and then we have to trust them with the opportunity. Uh, we didn't necessarily trust her with the opportunity in, ter in terms of publicizing it, mm -hmm. but we did trust her with the opportunity in terms of going to court and fighting the legal battle. Mm -hmm. um, older people have always been willing to fight the good fight, or as John Lewis say, get into good trouble, right? right? <laughs> We've always been willing to do that. But when you talk about three common principles, um, you know, you talk about uh, love for yourself and your, 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 your fellow, you know, Americans, or in this case, black Americans, uh, your family, and then your life in, in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, how many people are really ready to sacrifice their family or their lives to make a stand for something that uh, m may hurt them mm -hmm. rather than initially help them, but could potentially help that race later on? How many people are willing to do that? Right. And the people we're going to talk about today really put a lot on the line. And a lot of them knew they were putting a lot on the line. Absolutely. Um, what's your thoughts? I think it's important because you got to have someone to pass the baton to. Um, for the older generation, um, you have to pass the baton on to somebody that's younger than you. 
um, because the younger ones know what they need and what they want sometimes more than the older generation. Right. And I think sometimes the, with the older generation, you know, the old saying is, is my way or, you know, no way. And I think with the younger kids, and we've seen that uh, last year with the election, um, with so many young kids coming out to vote, uh, they, they, which we'll talk about later, but they flipped Georgia from a red state to a blue state mm-hmm. because of the younger generation. Absolutely. Um, we're going to go down a list of people. Um, y'all feel free to interject um, whenever. But, of course, number one is, of course, uh, six years old Ruby Bridges, you know, who was escorted by federal marshals to integrate a, uh, a all-white school in um, New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, because of the threat of violence, Ruby Bridges had to be escorted by, by federal marshals um, when they were met by protesters for her not to enter the school. Um, she spent the, her entire first day in the principal's office. Um, and when she did begin class on... She was the only one. She was the only student in the classroom. Everybody else had been pulled from from the uh, classrooms. But Ruby Bridges was ended up being taught by um, one teacher one on one. Barbara uh, Henry. Barbara Henry one one on one, and she was not allowed to uh, go out for recess or eat lunch in the cafeteria because it was deemed too dangerous. And for a six year old to have to deal with that, that just shows you um, the courage that a lot of kids may have that you know a lot of adults don't think about generally so you know just this young girl was just trying to go to school get an education and she did um but sometimes we 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 overlook that you know you know ruby bridges is still alive but how many people do you know still actually talk about ruby bridges in, in that aspect or even sit at the feet of ruby bridges to to figure out what her mindset was like right I, I, absolutely. I mean, the, the fact that she was getting threats where on the way to school, people were holding up black baby dolls with nooses around mm-hmm. their necks, um, offering her food that obviously they had poisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a six year old kid, kid, you know, that really did not understand all that. Mm-hmm. Um, her dad was totally against it in the beginning. Her mom is this is something that her mom said, hey, we've got to do. Um, also, let's put this in perspective. There was five other girls that was part of this process. That's right. Um, two chose to stay at their current school, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the other three, cho- they were older and mm-hmm. they went to a different school mm-hmm. and actually became something regarding the big three or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a different school. Um, so Ruby was the only one to go to this school. She mm-hmm. was by herself. First grade. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And really... It's 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 ironic that we're talking about the young people's impact on movements mm-hmm. is that it was really the students, the white students who broke the boat, the, the boycott. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have one parent brought in her, his, his daughter and said, hey, I just want the privilege of being able to bring my child to school every day. Mm-hmm. And white students follow that lead and mm-hmm. they broke the boycott mm-hmm. and started going to class. Um, so once again, you have the younger generation being the one that says, you know what, this is BS, because it was the parents pulling the kids. It's, all, it's right. on both sides. Because yeah. we know the parents are the influences of all these situations, right? Absolutely. So, uh, uh, and I think it, it's also important to talk about the what the what, what the family endured. Yeah. So okay. obviously, we can talk about the father lost his job, right? But even the grandparents who lived <clears throat> in Mississippi, who owned their own land, got ran off their own property mm-hmm. because of this. So when you put this in real perspective, we're talking about a hatred 
that is so deep that they would threaten a six-year-old kid. And the family. And, and, the family. and you would find the grandparents of yeah. this family in another state mm -hmm. or another part of the state and persecute them mm -hmm. for something that we all know was the right thing to do. Um, and the father lost his job. Obviously, the mother and father ended up getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. But some white people did help out. A lot of the clothes that you see Ruby wearing to school in some of the pictures was clothes that was given to her by white families mm -hmm. that wanted to see her succeed, wanted this to happen. Um, a, a white a neighbor ended up giving the father another job. Mm -hmm. You know, so you did have people that supported this white and black that came to the aid. But had it not been for this little girl's carriage, and also we cannot forget the mother. We cannot forget the the impact because obviously it's their decision. Mm -hmm. Ruby couldn't have done this on her own. Mm -hmm. So yes, she was the person that had the carriage, but she didn't have the authority mm -hmm. to say we're going to do this. That was the mother. That's the bridge and the gap that we we were talking about. You know, the wisdom and the courage. You know, the legs that got to run it, and then the the idea that has to come to the mind right. to be able to and then entrusting that person right. with right. it. That's right. That's when you always look at civil rights, the, the first thing they give you is the men, you know, the Martin Luther Kings. And they don't give you, I mean, they give you, um, they give you one woman mm -hmm. in particular, but, you know, for Ruby, I thought that was big to be six years old. And then like that said, for the, can't forget about the women, can't forget about the mom, the mom, you know, normally it would be the dad to say she's doing yeah. it, but for the mom to be like that. And, and I thought it was funny that Ruby's birth year coincide with, the Supreme Court's landmark ruling, Board versus Brown versus Board of Education. Mm -hmm. um, it was almost like she was born to for do that. that. Yes. Right. Right. Uh, you spoke about her, Claudette Colvin, 15 years old, um, on a segregated city bus, made the fatal decision that she was going to um, not give up her seat, pioneering what we call the civil rights movement. But um, Claudette Colvin's situation was different for Rosa Parks uh, because Claudette, of course, just being 15, she was actually sitting in the colored section. So um, there was no law on the books that said that she had to give up her seat on the colored section. So being that uh, the driver wanted her to give up her seat in the color section, you know, she refused to give up her seat. She was arrested, taken to the city jail and was charged with disturbing the peace, breaking the city's segregation ordinance and assaulting a policeman. Um, and in response to her conviction, she was convicted um, of it. Um, some local community members initiated a boycott of the local bus system, which eventually led to the Montgomery bus boycott after Rosa Parks did it. So um, a lot of people are starting to become more familiar with Claudette Colvin's story. Again, still alive. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I think her story is probably the most fascinating of all. Let's, in, in real perspective, what, what Cla Claudette did was about nine months before Rosa Parks did mm -hmm. it, right? But here, here, here's actually what happened. She was on the bus because she, she had the ride to and from school. She was on the bus. She was a uh, NAACP youth chapter member, mm -hmm. right, who had already been studying and all this stuff about constitutional rights, civil rights, um, and some of the injustices and inequalities that were going on. So she had knowledge of this, right? right? And she was on the bus, as you said, sitting in the black section. However, uh, the drivers and white patrons used to try to say when there was no seat in the white section that they would push back to the back of the bus, mm -hmm. to the black section, which wasn't part of the law. Right. That was just something that blacks would do because they didn't want any problem. Mm -hmm. Right. So she, where she was sitting was in a black section and it was her and three other girls. 
the driver had a white lady get on and there was no seats and asked the four of them to move. Well, the other three girls just moved, mm -hmm. right? Not her. She didn't move. But another black lady got on the bus, too, mm -hmm. who was pregnant and sat down right beside her. So the driver had continued on driving before this black lady had sat down. And he looked in the mirror and saw that this white lady was still standing up. Two blacks are still sitting down. So he said, hey, you move. Both of you move to the back. Well, the pregnant lady said, I ain't moving. You know, <laughs> I paid my fare and I don't feel like standing. So she didn't move. And Claudette said, I ain't moving either. Mm -hmm. You know, I know my constitutional rights. I'm not moving. She stated that. And they said, well, we're going to call the police. Call them. <laughs> so the police came. Two other patrons convinced the pregnant lady to move. Mm -hmm. So she moved one seat back. Claudette still ref refused to move. The white police officers physically removed her forcibly. Mm -hmm. And, of course, arrested on three charges. Disturbing the peace. Uh, failure to comply with segregation laws. Mm -hmm. And assaulting oh, a police, police officer. officer. Yep. And, of course, she got found guilty as a juvenile mm -hmm. on three. However, on appeal, they dropped the two charges of disorderly conduct and violating the segregation laws. Because obviously, as you said, she didn't violate the yeah, segregation laws. But they found her guilty of assaulting a police officer. What was the assault? Right. And the, the assault always, well, anytime the police got to physically remove you, they'll call it assault on a police officer. Right. When it's really mm. possibly resisting right. arrest. Right. Right. But... The, the kicker is, is that she claims that the reason she did not get up is she could not. Her understanding of black history and how we were being treated in this country, she felt the hands of uh, uh, Harriet Tubman Harriet. on one shoulder and Sojourner Truth on wow. the other shoulder, holding her down in her seat. So her knowledge of history played a part. This wasn't something that she just arbitrarily did and not knew, didn't know what she was doing. Right. She knew what she was doing at 15 years old. She knew exactly what she's doing. She was doing. She was later quoted as saying, "People feel like that Rosa Parks just sat down on the bus and it it ended the yeah. right. you know the segregation. Like it just that was yeah. it. It was over. That's not what happened. She actually said what she did. She thought was more important than what Rosa did. It was because she got to make a statement mm -hmm. where Rosa did not. Um, and then we can talk about why we think that Claudette was not as publicized um, and that her her character was not put out there like we did with Rosa Parks. Well, and that was a decision that was made by black America, not white America. Right. That, of course, the age thing. The age thing. The fact, she was pregnant. Yeah. She she became pregnant during the process. Mm -hmm. uh, they talked about her hair. They talked about her, her skin color. And it was all the... In fact, her mother wanted her to be quiet. Mm -hmm. Her mother told her... Don't say anything about what happened to you. This was after Rosa Parks. Let Rosa Parks be the spokesperson. Let her do it. They're not going to do anything to her. Um, they're not going to destroy her family like they're going to destroy ours. Don't say anything. And for a while, she didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. But when the court proceedings started, she testified. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that a lot of people don't understand. She testified in court. She was one of the five people that testified in court for for the, the court hearings. Mm -hmm. Um, for Brown versus Board of Education, yeah. when people don't even make the connection between the two because they look at this as totally different. It was not. Without this, without what Claudette Colvin did, you probably don't get a third girl marshal. Right. Here's the one that people might not like. <laughs> you might not get a Martin Luther King either. Right. If this didn't happen. 
you surely probably would not got a Rosa Parks. Right, because this is the pioneering of the civil rights movement. Absolutely. Um, that led to Rosa Parks, that led to them saying, okay, let's grab Martin Luther King and let's really start this boy, the, boy, the bus boycott. Um, but she also, a uh, reporter asked her at, at any moment, was she scared? And she said she wasn't scared, but she didn't get fear until she actually hit the jail cell. She was scared to get in the police car. That's what she was afraid of because... Anybody down south would understand. Right, right. because they put you in the back seat, and especially if you was a female, they put you in the back seat, an officer rode in the back seat with you. They had a history of of sexually assaulting black females Mm -hmm. in the back of police cars during that time. Right, and then, of course, the jail acted on their own authority. It was common for, you know, uh, civilians to get involved with police stuff, to say, you know, drop her off here, um... People can come inside the jail, whatever the case may be, because once you in the law's hands, anything goes. That's right. Um, it, one more thing that played into her psyche in what she did. Um, her first experience with uh, civil rights work was uh, by one of her classmates. Uh, his last name was Reeves. I think Jeremiah Reeves, who was also a member of the NAACP youth chapter, mm-hmm. um, who got caught having sex with a, a white girl. And the white girl said she he he raped her. When he said it was a consensual relationship that had happened many a times, they executed him for that. Mm-hmm. And that was one of her classmates. So so you're talking about a time span of like five years where somebody was convicted of raping a white girl to where he got executed for right. it. So all of this was part of her mentality and what she was doing and thinking that day on that bus. Absolutely. And she was also quoted uh, kind of what y'all said earlier that and I quote, uh, they want to use the one, they want to use the one that would be the image that Rosa Parks would be acceptable to a white community than the darker complexion teenager. Uh, like you said, she was respected in the community. She was married. She was soft-spoken. That's right. They, they said Claudette was fiery. She was fiery. Uh, they thought she was crazy and defiant for shouting that this was against my constitutional rights. At 15 right. years old. At 15 years old. She was so smart that... She made a comment about something that I think we may have said on this podcast in the past. She said, you know, when they talk about Columbus, they say Columbus found America, mm-hmm. discovered Discover. America, but it was already populated, mm-hmm. right? So how do you discover mm-hmm. something? So she said, so white America changed it to he discovered the new world, mm-hmm. right? See how they, mm-hmm. she talked about it in depth. You see how clever that is? Yeah. That, okay, we can't say they discovered America because there was people already here, right. but he discovered a new world, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same concept. And they she she was so smart that I think people were was afraid that she was going to say too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and she 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 probably would have, but it might may have been good. But also, we can't forget, let's not overlook one other thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. 15 years prior to that, there was a lady named Pauli Mary. Mm-hmm. At age 30. Now, I know she doesn't fit into the category that we're looking at today, but she did the exact same thing 30 years prior. She didn't give her purse seat on a bus as well. And the reason I want to bring that up is because at the time, we're talking in the 50s now. Then we're going from the 60s to the 50s is when she actually, we actually heard about this, but she did this in the 40s. She wouldn't give her purse seat on a bus. Um, 1940. Uh, 30 years old and one of the people who worked on her case was 
what's the name? Ginsburg, the judge, mm-hmm. who became a judge, uh, one, the second female Supreme Court justice, Ginsburg. You guys probably saw she died not too long yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's almost 100 years old, right. still working. But she worked on the case. She actually called her Jane Crow because she was changing the Jim Crow laws. <laughs> and Ginsburg named her first daughter Jane. Mm. So this is powerful because without that, you probably don't get a Claudette Colvin right. because she knew about Paula. Right. Right? You probably don't get a Rosa Parks. It's, it's a, that's why it's just correlating Absolutely. with how both generations are important. Um, and that's also, you don't get, if you don't get those, then you don't get uh, Stacey Abrams, then you probably nope. don't you don't get the three women that started the Black Lives Matter movement. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Again, go to YouTube, type in Mighty Motivation Network, hit the subscribe button. Thank y'all for all the support. We're going to jump right in. Um, another group that, that comes to prominence in the, in the 60s is um, the SNCC, which is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Um, they emerged and leaders into what they called it the sit-in movement. Um, the, they were, again, the youth because they were students. And again, when we talk about youth, um, most people like to correlate that with teenagers. But anybody, youth, I like to say is 23 and under, honestly, because those are people who are right out of high school, going into college, finishing up college that hasn't really had that experience into the world of what we call adulthood. So I'll, I'll say that the youth that we're talking about is 23 and under um, when we talk about this. Um, but, you know, Dr. King talked about them a lot about how, you know, they were uh, influential in the civil rights progress. But, you know, even he disagreed sometimes with the SNC because they didn't mind getting beat. They didn't mind going to jail. They actually wanted that because it would bring more uh, attention to what was going on. And Dr. King thought that they were too young to try to 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 do that they he wanted the adults to be able to to withstand that not the students to be able to do that um but they they laid the foundations and and the the sit-ins um in the south um john lewis you know he became part of that at age 17 he was first arrested at 17 pissed his mama off uh, about it but he also became one of the leaders of that that specific group and became the one of the fathers of the of the civil rights movement Absolutely. Um, we talked about this on a podcast before, but the Black Panther Party um, were a lot of them were essentially young. You know, Huey Newton started it as a as a college student. Um, you know, he helped organize things from college for the college. Um, but, you know, they police the police had a free breakfast program, free health clinic, free ambulance service, free legal aid, free food program. Go back and watch that episode if you haven't. Um, but Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton was 17 serving as the president of the, the NAACP youth, um, in Chicago. That's right. And, um, you know, at the age of 17, he organized over 500 other students to address poor communities and stronger educational resources. Um, in the Black Panther Party, of course, if you watch the movie, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, um, very well detailed, stick to the facts, organized rival gangs. And created the Rainbow Coalition with the the young lords and the young patriots, but he was a well advocate in Chicago of that free breakfast program and developing that free clinic for the people. And of course, he was assassinated at the age of 21. And in those four years span from 17 to 21, he did great work. That's right. Um, 
Uh, of course, Bobby Hutton was only 15. He was the first person to join the, the Black Panther Party. Of course, you got the Little Rock Nine, you know, um, after they, in 1954, after the, the Brown versus Board of Education decision, um, it took a whole year for them to actually go through the process of trying to get these kids into these integrated schools. But they actually had to go through interviews. Everybody mm -hmm. had to interview to see if they qualify to go to these integrated schools. And of course, um, out of like 80 kids that, that, that interviewed, like nine was picked to actually go. You know, uh, you know, uh, Ruby Bridges, <clears throat> they had to be tested. Too. Right. right. Yep. Anybody uh, that mm -hmm. was going into those integrated schools had to be tested to they see if, they, the if they can go That's in. Right. Um, but they were actually the, the Little Rock Nine. They were denied the first time they actually went by the National Guard. Um, the governor made a stance that the National Guard come in and protect the doors to allow them That's not right. to come in. So they were denied the first time. But then Eisenhower actually sent troops there and pulled the National Guard under his command and said, no, y'all need to protect the students that's going in, not protect the school. You need to uh, let these kids in. And uh, eventually they did, and they actually finished. The Army had to stay down there the entire academic year um, to try to right. keep this these nine kids um, into the school. The first, first day, didn't one show up by themselves? Uh, because the rest carpooled, right? I'm not mistaken. I believe so. The one showed up right. and she said that she was spitting. Uh, right, right. Um, spit on. I can't remember her name, but we talked about on one of the episodes before. Uh, you know, just when you think about this, you're thinking about what these people did to keep black people from going to their school. Just the, just the just school. school. You want to deny them the right to have equal education and go to your facilities as if you're asking animals to eat at your dinner yeah, table, yeah. which a lot of them do. Right, right. But you don't want a black person in your school. Right. You go through all of that to the point where there was appeal after appeal after appeal for over a year mm -hmm. to prevent this from happening. Mm -hmm. All of the resources and money spent to keep black people from going to the same school as white kids tells you the level of hatred mm -hmm. that that race has for black America. And, and this 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 is early on. So we got these nine going in, Ruby Bridges, them going in. But you can hear uh, Malcolm X and Dr. King still talking about this years later that they still haven't integrated the schools in the South. Even though the 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 thing passes in nineteen fifty four, right? So just look at how many years passed before schools was actually integrated. Even though the law said that you know the Supreme Court passes down that it's supposed to be um, integrated, but news flashed all the people saying that was so long ago. These people are still alive. <laughs> That's right. These people are still alive. And you, go ahead. I just want to say Ernest Green was the only senior among the Little Rock Nine that became the first African-American graduate of Central High. Mm -hmm. and, and that was the whole, when they start talking about uh, changing the Jim Crow, Crow laws, the Jane Crow laws, which, as I said, was one of the things indoctrinated by Ann Pauline Mary, Pauline Mary. Um, it was that you had the separate but equal mm -hmm. is what it was supposed to be. But obviously, the level of education, the books, the even the school structure themselves was not equal to what white Americans were getting, which is obviously was the biggest issue. So when you look at that, 
it's, it's not just about segregating and saying, hey, black should be treated equally in terms of education. Mm -hmm. It goes further than that. It's further than just saying blacks should be able to ride a bus and not have to get up because some white person got on the bus. Mm -hmm. It goes further than that. If the level of education is not equal, how are they going to get employed once they finish their level of right. that education? Right. How are you going to get employed? Because if you have a white person that graduated and a black person that graduated and they apply for a job, the black person is not going to be on the same level as the white person. And the black schools didn't go 12 grades either. Absolutely. So it went further than just that. It's after that what happens. That was another way, we talk about it all the time, at keeping black people in a certain place in America, right? Mm -hmm. Can't have you be too high. We want to keep you here, mm -hmm. right? So it's further, it's much more than what it seemed to be in, in, in on the surface. Mm -hmm. And uh, another one, the Greensboro Four, um, they were four college students ages 19 and 20, you know, that um, went into the store, sat down at the counter and, and waited to be served. And when they were denied service, they were, they were refused to leave. And they repeated this process over for months until a few months later, they actually allowed them to eat there. Um, and they were joined by other students. But these is, again, 19, 20 right. years old. Uh, you had the first sit-ins in Virginia were done in Lynchburg, Lynchburg, Lynchburg Virginia. Right, so. students, students. Students again. That's right. Black and white students. Mm -hmm. um, the Children's Crusade of 1963. Uh, more than 1,000 students skipped classes and gathered at uh, 6th Street Baptist Church to march downtown in Birmingham, Alabama. As they approached police lines, hundreds were arrested and carried off to jail, paddy wagons, and and school buses and when hundreds more gathered the next day um they did the same thing um but images of children was being blasted by high pressure fire hoses being clubbed by police officers being attacked by police dogs appeared on television and newspapers um hint hint if you watch the the news you can see <laughs> haiti people okay That's right. okay <laughs> despite the violence and children continued to march and protest and organizing action known as the children's crusade again a lot of the older people dr king and rosa parks them didn't want the students to take involved with this but they said y'all got y'all fight we're gonna do our fight as well we're, we're gonna do it on another when level. the first person killed in the civil rights movement was a black person a young black person mm -hmm. you know uh and we can go all the way back to a lot of people say that Emmett Till's was the the start of right. the the civil rights movement with his murder, who was a teenager. And it made a lot murder. that that murder made a lot of kids step up, a Absolutely. lot of youth step up. They called him the Emmett Till generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another one key. Um, I just learned about this one: the Stolen Girls, nineteen sixty three, ages ten and sixteen. Um, but two hundred African American girls they met at a. Um, at a church to try to come up with a protest. And when white people heard about it, they said that they were going to attack white people. And then all of the girls were arrested. Um, and eventually most of them were let loose, but 35 of them were kept. And without notification to the parents at all, they transferred them to a old civil war era prison for about two months. And they were a um, couple of days. They didn't feed them at all. Uh, the few days that they did get fed, they got fed uncooked hamburger meat, um, egg sandwiches provided by jailers, but they slept on dirty mattresses. Um, the toilet wasn't working. They were kept there for two months without the parents even knowing where they at. And when the parents figured out where they was at, they sent them a bill for payment for their incarceration. <laughs> so right. the $2 a day type of thing that the, the jail still have in there. But on one occasion, a snake was thrown in there by the guards to 
to on the females, but they ended up escaping. And a lot of the girls that escaped ended up still being a part of these the civil rights movement. And this is again ages 10 through 16. Um, uh, the stolen girls. But as we talk about movements, I want to mention two other people. We're not going to talk about the movement right now, but I do want to mention how Anne Frank, if people know the story of Anne Frank, she mm -hmm. was a Holocaust survivor and she did it by hiding for years. Mm -hmm. um, and then Ryan White, who became the poster child for HIV and AIDS in 1984, being one of the first people diagnosed with the virus and going public with the virus and then how they were treated mm -hmm. and they became activists. Um, you know, sometimes we forget the word activist because we talk about the movement and we talk about civil rights movement and civil rights activists. And we think that that word activist only goes with civil rights, but it does right. not. No. And so Anne Frank and Ryan White both admit that they had knowledge of women and African-American youth doing activism, mm -hmm. standing up and being the poster child for whatever the movement was, which mm -hmm. led them to do what they did. So I thought it was important to mention, when we talk about youth, we're not just talking about blacks. We're just not talking about civil rights movement. We're talking about anything. When we talk about green, going green and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, protecting the environment, Young people at the forefront of that as well. Absolutely. And so again, that has nothing to do with race. Absolutely. That's the human race. We act. We need. We need all races too from the youth because we're gonna get into a little bit later. But um, white youth are definitely prominent in this area that we're gonna need um, in the fight for uh, social injustice and, and the, not just social injustice, environmental things, all of these things. Um, but we're, we're gonna need uh, allies and and the things that we're talking about too. But um, you can go way back further than the civil rights movement. You can go back to abolitionists. Uh, Sarah Parker uh, Riemann, a uh, member of the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society, gave her first abolitionist speech at age 16. Frederick Douglass fought as overseer for freedom at the age of 16, and That's he right. successfully escaped at age 20. And for the people who don't know, yeah, Frederick Douglass dusted off his over overseer. Um, <laughs> And the overseer left it alone when he came back because he didn't want them problems again. He want that smoke. Oh, and no this more. was the overseer that was actually branded for um, for keeping the slave in line. He uh, Frederick Douglass was sent to him to keep him in line, and uh, Frederick Douglass ended up dusting them off. Uh, and, <laughs> in 1834, Henry Holland Garnett and some of his classmates formed their own club, uh, the Garrison Literary. Um, association, more than 150 African-Americans under the age of 20 attended the first meeting. It is estimated that 80% of those who bravely embarked on the Underground Railroad were in their teens or early 20s. Uh, we talked about her on the episode before, but uh, Barbara Johns out of Farmville, Virginia, right. she was 16 years old, decided to take action um, uh, for the court for the board of Brown, Brown versus the Board of Education. That uh, you know, that case versus Davis versus Prince Edward, it became one of the five cases of that of that um Brown versus the Board of Education to desegregate schools, but she led a strike uh walking out of class. Um again, age 16. Um, Cheyenne Webb, um, known as Martin Luther King's smallest freedom fighter. That's right. Uh Webb took part in the first attempt at the Selma to Montgomery March across the Edmund um bridge on March 7th, 1965, known as the Bloody Sunday. At age nine years old, she was one of the first black children to integrate an all-white all school, where she was pushed down the steps, called derogatory names, and spit on. 
um, she would sneak out of the house and join uh, demonstrations and meetings despite her parents' warning. Um, she actually is a co-author of the book that became the movie Selma right. that, that came out. She, uh, she co-authored that book. Let me ask you a question. As you go through that list, and I'm sure you guys encounter, you encountered it in your, your research to Shaquan, more young females, mm -hmm. black females. Always. When you look at the civil rights movement, like Shaquan said it earlier, they always talk about the black men, That's but right. when you look at the legwork of the civil rights movement, it's women. It's women. It's women. It's women. A um, little bit more modern day, 2012, after Trayvon Martin was killed, you know, the Dream Defenders in um, Florida led, you know, um, marches to seek justice for Trayvon Martin that led to the Black Black Lives Matter movement. That's right. So you're again, you're talking about teenagers. Again, um, black teens fight for gun reform in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, after um, there was an incident at the school that claimed 17 lives of, of mass gun violence. They started a never again hashtag, and they started marching and protesting about uh, the fight for gun reforms. But again, um, just a quick few other ones. James Baldwin, uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain. I think I got the book over there. You do. Uh, he started writing this book at age 17. He didn't finish it or it didn't get published until he was, um, I think he was 30-something. But he started writing it at 17, and it's a phenomenal book. Ida B. Wells, you know, she began teaching at the age of 14. <laughs> teaching at the age of 14. Ida B. Wells, Langston Hughes published his first poem at age 19. And he led that that poem was one of the first key instances in the Harlem Renaissance. That's right. Again, these are teenagers doing phenomenal things. So going through all that history, give it to me. What y'all got? Let's talk I have about a question. It. What do you think is the motivation and carriage behind the younger generation doing things like what they do? I think it's, I think we, I think we undermine the youth, mm -hmm. you know, we undermine the youth so much. We don't think that they know what's going on, right? but they deal with things in a smaller secular place. For instance, the things that we talk about in the world mm -hmm. are going on right inside of a classroom, right mm -hmm. inside of a school. The same racial discrimination, the same injustice. It, the injustice doesn't have to be a black person was killed. I mean, a white person was killed, black person killed um, the black person that killed them, go to jail for longer than the white person. You see this in the school, that a white kid doing the same thing as a black kid don't get suspended, don't right. get MIP. You know what I'm saying? You don't get the same treatment. So just in that aspect, they deal with the same things that adults deal with just in their own terms. Adults just don't look at it that way. Right. But you're already starting activism in school and most people don't even know it. So their, their motivation comes from the passion of what they already see. And when they look for adults to, to try to gravitate toward to get knowledge from, they, they're told to shut up. You don't know what's going right. on. They don't trust them yet. But my key thing is, we use the word rebellious in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Every generation is rebellious. That's right. Let's look at fashion. Oh, we ain't dressed like that in the 40s. Oh, we ain't dressed like that in the 50s. We ain't dressed like that in the 60s. And it keeps going on and right. on and on and on. We didn't do this. Our parents taught us different than this. Our grandparents would do something to us if we didn't. 
every generation is rebellious, whether music is music or fashion or whatever the case may be. Nothing's different from the youth because the youth can look at adults and see exactly what they don't want. That's right. And we don't give them enough credit for that. So their motivation has come from what they see on a regular basis that most adults don't pay attention to. I was, I, we talk about video games all the time. Why are kids typically so much better at video games than adults? They don't have anything else on their mind, mm -hmm. right? They can focus on that video game. They're not worried about how I'm going to pay this bill or what I'm cooking for dinner or what time I got to be to work tomorrow. They're not thinking about any of that. In fact, they're not even thinking about what time I got to go to school tomorrow. They leave that up. To, you're going to wake me up when it's time for right. school, right? <laughs> that, you know, they're not thinking about any of that. But I also think about when you first start to drive, and you drive in the rain, and you've never hydroplaned in your life, right? You drive like a madman, mm -hmm. right? You've never hydroplaned, so you're driving like a madman. You have no fear until you hydroplane one time, mm -hmm. until your, gar your car starts drifting, and you have no control of it, and you get that feeling of not having control and what the consequences can be. Before that, you have no fear. Well, when I look at the younger generation and they start, especially when you're starting to be an activist towards hate, mm -hmm. you, you don't understand the ramifications. Mm -hmm. You've never witnessed it. You've never experienced it. You don't know what they can do to you. That can be a bonus right, in that you, approach. Because you're fearless. You're fearless. You're not thinking about no consequences. Absolutely. So I, I think that one of the strongest points outside of education, because this is the thing we have to talk about is... In order to have a movement, you have to be educated on what your what your movement is about. Yeah. You can't just be a part of it and go, yeah, what he said. <laughs> what you know, people do. You, you have to be, especially if you're going to be one of the leaders. Right. Yeah, followers are great because you need, you need mass support. Mm -hmm. But in order to be one of the leaders, you have to be educated on it. So outside of that with that youth, I think having that, that, that fearless attitude makes them a better form of leader mm -hmm. at that point in their life. They don't have families. They don't have, well, when I say families, I'm saying they don't have kids. Right. They don't have responsibilities that they have to worry about as you do a father of five, where I can't be an activist because I got to worry about who's going to take care of my kids if I go to jail. Right. I can't do that. You, you said something key. Um, I don't know if you caught this when you watched Judas and the Black Messiah. Fred Hampton always talk about dying for the cause. Mm-hmm. And when he was talking about dying for the cause after he got out of prison, his pregnant mm -hmm. wife was crying because she said, you know, you have a baby on the way That's and right. you're talking about dying for the people. And he looked at her and said, you knew this coming in, that I'm willing to die for the people. And he and he reason he thought like that is because he had no responsibilities That's right. at first. That's right. They, they were deep into the cause. And if you watch anybody from the Black Panther Party movement, the moment a female got pregnant, their mindset changed. Things changed. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of rebellious things come from not having that responsibility that you talked about. Absolutely. Um, but again, you know, when you look at history, it is necessary because, again, that rebelling thing. There was somebody on the plantation telling Harriet Tubman, it's a bad idea for you That's to right, run. Right. Somebody older, probably. That's right. Roots. <laughs> Roots are telling you, Fiddler didn't want Coon right. to run. It's a bad mm, idea, Coon. Bad idea. But without Harriet Tubman running, you don't get those, those people um, into freedom. You know, without certain stances, without um, these younger people, without Claudette Coven, again, you don't get Rosa Parks. Without 
Frederick Douglass challenging slavery, you don't get other abolitionists. You don't get out of B. Wells. You don't get these people. Right. So it without takes somebody. Matt Turner, you probably don't get a Harriet Tubman. Right. So without those people, you know, bucking the system. That's right. You, you don't get it. You won't get it. Um, What's your take? Uh, what's the motivation? What's that determining factor or factors that you think inspire the youth to be involved in any type of movement? Uh, tired of saying it. Um, you look at this generation, everything for them is social media. Mm -hmm. So when you get on social media, you got to hear that a man was gunned down for a little of nothing. A man was choked to death for little or nothing. And for those younger generations, they start thinking about the kids because they are kids. That's right. So they're thinking about that person's kids. They're thinking about that person's family. Um, and they start to think that could be me. You know, for us growing up, we never thought that that could be us. Right. You know, growing up, they told us we couldn't go to the country club. Still to this day, people our age say, no, nah, you can't go there. When black kids go there all the time, they got a swimming pool in the back. Now. That's right. But for us, we still live on the fact that uh, we ain't allowed it. Right. Where right. this generation is changing a lot of things, and they're not doing it by a book. I fall in that category. I had a person tell me one time, yeah, we're going to meet at the Moose Lodge. I can't go there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, you can't. They let, let black people go to the moose lodge. <laughs> I, I I'm one of those people. I'm I'm one of those people from that older generation that still think about how things used to be. And yes, you might can go to the moose club today. Yes, you can. But I still can't go into the store and not be viewed as somebody who could possibly steal something in opposed to a white person who looks similar to me. Right. You know? Absolutely. I mean, you look at uh, you look at now. Um, you know, when these kids in school write the president's letters, you know, in school, we thinking like, I wonder how many of those letters he actually read where you, you have the little girl in Flint, Michigan, which by the way, the people that worked at the plants in Flint, Michigan said that the plant stopped using Flint's water before the crisis even happened. That's right. So that means they knew it was coming. That's right. So you had this little girl named Marie, um, Copney, I'm not sure if I'm saying her, her last name right, eight years old, known as Little Miss Flint, wrote President Obama requesting a meeting in Washington, D.C. to discuss the water crisis in the home. That's right. Beautiful. 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 Um, and last thing I'll say on that topic is um, I think a lot of the younger generation look at the older generation to say uh, your things are changing and your way is out the window. Right. And we're going to get to that a little bit later, but, you know, it's a saying that the younger generation say, you know, um, because the civil rights movement was nonviolent, they say, you know, we're not our ancestors. You can catch these hands. Right. That's <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? That's right. Uh, but we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. And we're going to jump right in. Um, so for the for the adults listening, um, what can adults do to help the youth excel into these, some of these leadership roles? I think you just asked, what can we do to help y'all? Not come in and take it over, not say, no, that's wrong. Don't do it that way. We did it this way. Your way, y'all way didn't work. We see that. But I think that was, you answered the question within the question was, how can we help? Mm -hmm. I, I, I go to something you said on it. I think it was either podcast one or two. Be authentic. Mm -hmm. So what the older generation needs to do is first, we know we have to educate the younger generation. And that education is not only giving our perspective, as, as he said at the start of this podcast and every podcast, give the information, 
let those folks read it and develop their own ideas and interpretations about what it says, what it means. Don't you give it to them. needs to be done. That's right. Don't give it to them. Don't give them your idea so they can push an agenda from the 60s in 2021, 2022. Okay. Those agendas from the 60s, I'm not saying they're not important. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that they're probably more important to you than they are to the success of whatever the movement is. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's became a personal vendetta. This became something personal to those folks. What I'm saying is, is that let's educate the youth first. Mm -hmm. And then once you educate them, don't tell them what to do. Say, hey, what do you want to do and how can I help? Mm -hmm. And then you have to support them. Mm -hmm. You can't just throw them out there and go, oh, yeah, that's that younger generation. Okay, you can't do that. You have to support them. You have to find a way to support them. And sometimes the way you support them is get out the way. Right. Absolutely. Get out the way. Absolutely. Get out the way and let them lead. I don't want to lead. Right. right? You know, that that's not what I want to do. I don't want to lead. Do I want to be a part of it? Hell yeah. But I don't yeah. want to lead. Why? I'm too old to lead. Mm. I want the younger generation because that's the buy-in. Yeah. When you have an agenda, you want people to buy into that agenda. And how you let them buy in is you educate them and then you have them do the work. You train the trainer. Mm-hmm. Now it's yours. Take over. You know, Mm -hmm. that's when you know it's working. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the civil rights movement, we can say that it stopped working for us Mm -hmm. because we don't have we didn't we didn't train the younger generation. Mm -hmm. We didn't educate them. We didn't trust them. Mm -hmm. And now we're we're where we are right now. Absolutely. Y'all said it, of course, listen and guide without hindering. So when you guide without hindering means you can give them advice. But if they don't take your advice, don't stop them. That's you right. know what I'm saying? Um, it's it's okay to stay behind the scenes. There's nothing wrong with staying behind the scenes. You don't always have to be in front of the microphone. You don't always have to be in front of the camera. You don't even always have to be acknowledged. That's right. Just support. Be there to support. Because if they do, if they're there to support them, they'll come to you for advice. Because right. if, if you're a person that 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 has that prominence, they'll come to you and say, Hey, what can I do now? And you can guide them and you can and show them um, ways that they can do things. But you also have to give them a sense that they matter. That's right. It is the more you tell them to shut up, you don't know nothing. Talk to them about it. See what they want you to do. You give them a sense that they don't matter. And I have a problem with that because we know older folks have to say, you know, stay out of grown folks business. That's right. But the future of the world ain't grown folks' business. <laughs> That's right. The future of the world is the business of the youth right. that the grown folks are making decisions on that the youth have to live in. So Absolutely. it ain't grown folks' business if, if they deal with what's going on in the world because I'm the one that got to live on it on the decision that you make. So I should have a say-so or at least advised a little bit about what's going on and my perspective matters. I matter because you're not the one that got to live in it. I am. That's I'm right. going to have to raise my kids in it. And they're going to have to raise their kids in it. So grown folks' business don't apply to activism or, or what we're talking about because leadership trains the next person to understand what's going on. That's right. right. Which also means that you're going to, we talked about this on previous podcasts too. So having, having people, voters, when we talk about voting, we talk about change. Obviously, you're going to have to do it at the polls, mm-hmm. right? So you, you have to have people register the vote. And then you have to have people educated on the different uh, campaigns, the different politicians, uh, what they're saying, um, what affects you and your community Mm -hmm. and you and your family, and then determining how you want to vote. But it goes further than that. 
something you said on podcast 17 or 18 is that we also need to have more people that look like us in the political realm, mm -hmm. right? We need more politicians. We need more black politicians so that we can start changing some of these laws. And I think that's where we're falling short now because most of the black politicians that you see on TV are people like Larry Elder. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Those are the type of people that are taking this information and following po politics and getting into politics that have an opportunity to make a difference that will only hurt people like you and I. Mm -hmm. So we need more people on the other side getting into politics. Black people getting into politics. We don't have enough people. I mean, you think about, I don't know if you guys saw the, they had a picture. Matter of fact, I think it was on WSET of all the congressmen, representatives, um, and senators in, from Virginia. Mm -hmm. Literally, you could almost count the ones, the black ones by hand, literally. Right. Um, it's that few. We need more black politicians. Absolutely. We need them. Um, advice for the youth stepping into a leadership role. Well, what advice would you give them? Be authentic. Be doing it for the right reason. Um, you, the last thing you want, especially in the black community, and you said it on the podcast before too, is if you're not authentic. If you're using this to further your career in another area, mm -hmm. black people will sniff that out. We smell it won't work. We, we can smell BS. That's right. It is not going to work. We can smell it because we've been we've been BS our entire <laughs> lives, and we can smell it, right? So, be you have to be authentic, be sincere, um, know what you're talking about. The last thing you want to do is come out and talk about something that you're not well versed in, and have somebody be able to rebut that to where you can't you can't rebut back. Right. So there's nothing you can say to offset what that person said. Know what you're talking about, because they're going to be people coming at you. And some of the people may be on your side, but they need to better understand exactly what's your perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. What's your support? What's your evidence? What, what's your reference? And then what you're going to do about it? Mm -hmm. You need to be well versed when you come into these communities and talk, because if you're not, you perceive this being BS. You know, I, I can give you a great example. We talked about Yonking, who's running for governor. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he's propagating is he's going to get rid of grocery tax. Right. Sounds great. So everybody that buys groceries are like, yeah, my groceries way too high. Nah, how you with the money going to go? Exactly. Yeah. I want you to put this in perspective. Do you really think he's a representative of the government? Right. right. Your taxes is government funds. Yeah. Do you really think he's going to take money away from the government, the company that he works for, and not replace it with something else? So the question is, that's, that, that's a great idea, sir. But how are you going to replace that money? Tell us how you're going to do it. So don't that? be afraid to, answer, to ask the tough questions because it's really not that tough. Mm -hmm. The answer might be, but the question is not that tough. How are you going to replace that money? So for the younger generation that want to go into leadership, if you want to lead, have good ideas, good policies, and then be able to express them. Mm -hmm. Be able to express them. Absolutely. What's your advice, Juan? Uh, sometimes in leadership, you're only there to water the seed. Um, so you look at what Cap did with the NFL. He kneeled. Jay-Z came in and took it further. Now, with coming in taking it further, you're going to get uh, some backlash from your own people. Um, because they're not going to understand what you're doing. They're not going to understand why you're doing it until they actually see it. 
So you went from in the NFL, you went from cap kneeling to Jay stepping in and now in racism is on the back of the helmets. It's in the end zone. It's on the NFL field. Um, they're supporting black movements where at first it was just cap kneeling mm-hmm. and it was chaos. But and the other thing is like that said, be authentic. The other thing is don't be afraid to be able to speak because as black people, we feel like if you talk like Grant Hill or Kobe Bryant, then you're not really black. You're, you're not for us. Um, and the last thing is, it's going to take more than just black people. You're going to have to get the white people involved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I just go back to, you know, what we talked about earlier. We, we talked about, you know, what advice will we give adults, but for the younger people, um, Listen to the adults. Listen, you don't have to take everything that they give you, but you have to understand their perspective and what they're talking about. So like you talked about with Claudette Claudette Kova, she understood history. She understood different perspectives and she channeled that into what was going on in in her daily life. So study the ones that came before you. Not only study what they did correctly, study what they did wrong and figure out the gaps that you can change to make whatever you're doing more prominent. Um, Malcolm X, you know, Fred Hampton studied Malcolm X. That's right. Malcolm X studied Elijah Muhammad. Elijah Muhammad studied Garvey and Noble Drew Ali and and so forth. So they all learn from each other, but they all learn the mistakes that they made, that they things that they could have did differently, that it might have had a more prominent role. And now that's allowed things to go to another level as the generations pass. Um, But again, sit down with the elders, get get their perspective. Don't let them hold you back now, but get their perspective. Um, in different ways. Um, Dr. King once said in a meeting, um, he went around the room and he asked everybody what their thoughts was. And after the meeting, one of the guys, I think it was Shuttlesworth, came to him and said, uh, you know, why did you ask everybody, you know, their their opinion when you know what you want to do? Mal- um, Martin said, you know, I know what I want to do. But he said, somebody else in the room might know a better way of doing it. So that's why I asked everybody. So look, always understand the perspectives because there may be something in the perspective that may that you may can incorporate to make your thing better or easier for you. Um, always work smarter and not harder. Um, again, start in school. You know, I know when I was in school, I never thought about running for class president or right. treasury mm-hmm. and all of those other things. Those are good ways to start learning how to organize yourself, how to be, become involved in politics, how to connect with like-minded people, how to connect with people in general, different types of people, different type of perspective. When you understand that, like run for office, college, join join um, movements in college. When you go to college, you're going to see a lot of things being done in college, um, clubs, these type of things. Get involved with that stuff to start looking at perspective and what you can do to add to your own personal life that can add back to um, the value of what you give the world. That's right. Um, another thing, never stop educating yourself. We said on this podcast a lot of times, never stop edu- educating yourself. Now, I'm not talking about a school book. I'm talking about educate yourself again, all the perspectives. Educate yourself on your friends, your white friends, your black friends. Figure out what their experience is like and come to your own conclusion. Key thing, educating others after you educate yourself. You yeah. got something that we didn't have. Right. You got a platform. You got social media. You got fashion, music. That's why we put our stuff on on T-shirts. We're educating people through fashion. You guys got a better sense than that than I do, so I know y'all can do better than what we do. You know what I'm saying? Music. 
you know, you the rappers out there, you ain't got to rap about drugs and money and all this other stuff. Nas just put out a phenomenal album talking about cooking with no salt. Oh, come on, baby. You can right. educate the people about, about things that they need to learn through anything that you do. Um, and the last thing you can do for leadership, always serve your community. Mm -hmm. Always. The power is always within the people. Connect with the people that you can help and that can help you. I got a quote. I'm not even going to tell you who, who said it, but I'm going to just read the quote. The quote says, women nor the older generation will ever have true equality until men, well, it says women and the younger generation will never have true equality until men and the older generation share the responsibility mm. of bringing up the next generation. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. So the ones that came before me, especially to the women, thank you. And to the men, thank you. Absolutely. To the younger generation, keep voting. And then secondly, know what you're voting for and who you voting for. Absolutely. We need it. We need your perspective. Um, like I say, you're the future. We need your perspective because uh, I call it all the time. I say old fools. I'm going to say there are a lot of wise fools. <laughs> And I say there's a lot of wise fools because there's a lot of older people who are wise in, in what they know. They have a lot of wisdom. But the problem is, younger generation, this is why we need you, is they don't know how to apply it to today's world. You can have all the wisdom in the world. You could have marched in the 60s. You could have sat at the feet of the people in the 70s. You could have learned and be leaders in the 80s and the 90s. But if you don't understand how to apply that in 2021, what's going on in the world, then you're no good to people. So it's up to you to help the older generation understand what's going on in the world. Help them understand social media. Help them understand some of the things that they're voting against or what they're voting for. Help them understand what's going on in the school system because a lot of people like me are speaking for you about what should be taught in school with black history when I'm not in school. Right. So you have to educate us on what it is that you're learning, what it is that you think you should be learning, and what are the things that's going to help you excel. It's up to you to give us that perspective because a lot of wise fools have no idea what's going on in you guys' world. We only understand what we see at work. When we come home, when we see y'all interacting, we only put that into perspective of our own experience. But we don't understand. Some of you might not even think racism is that big in your school, but we're taking it to another level. Let us know that. Let us know why you feel like that. And then we can try to help you as much as we can. Absolutely. Let me let me correct myself before uh, before we leave. Earlier, I, I just told the younger generation to vote and know what you're voting for. My bad. I understand we're in a different time. I meant to say run. Yeah, big right. big fact. Vote, but run. Big. Stacey fact. Abrams lost the first time. She ran again and won, and they flipped. They flipped Georgia. That's so right. younger generation, don't just vote. Run to. Absolutely. Anything else, y'all got? Oh, man. Good. All right. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Peace. Ashe.